Good morning. <clears throat> Today's scripture comes from Exodus 28 through 11 and Matthew 11:28. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Good morning. Hey, Casey, good to have you back in Hattiesburg. So this might be the sermon that you all want to hear, and it might be the last sermon that you all want to hear. Um, when someone tells you that you get to rest, I mean, that can be good news or that can be bad news. Um, thinking about stopping what you're doing can be stressful, or it can be like that relief that you thought would never come. I don't know how this is going to hit you today. Um, it, it might mean that you have to make some changes. That It might mean that you have to think completely differently about how you're approaching your life and how you view yourself. I know, for instance, when I got really sick, some of you may not know my story, but I got really sick a couple of years ago like was leaving work because I could not sit at my desk because I hurt too bad. My fingers wouldn't bend in the morning. I had to manually get my fingers moving because my joints were in such a, a state that they would swell so bad. I mean, it was bad. And it wasn't until I got sick and it stopped me from being able to do the things that I had been able to do that I realized I needed to make some changes. And one of those changes was how I ate. I completely, I had to change completely how I ate. So for someone to stand up and tell you something like, you should change how you eat. If you feel pretty fine, you're like, I'm not doing that. That means I gotta dirty up more dishes and I gotta think harder and I can't just drive through and drive through and get the, you know, you don't wanna do it. But if you get sick, then you will do it. Rest is kind of the same way. I haven't got time to rest. There's too many people that depend on me. There's too much going on in my job. There's too much responsibility that I have. I cannot rest. But you know what? If we don't stop and rest, your bodies will stop you. You know, we'll fall apart, right? We'll, we'll just stop because our bodies weren't made to go and go and go and go, and our souls weren't either, and our minds weren't either. So again, I don't know how this will hit you this morning. Some of you are exhausted. Um, how many of you, if you were really honest today and you could just name it, you would say, gosh, that scripture from Matthew, that was totally me, like that's resonating with me. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. You're like, at the core, I am exhausted. If that's you, raise your hand. If you would say that at the core, four people in here are tired. The rest of you, you're just so tired, you can't even raise your hand. Do you see? Like, we're exhausted. We're tired. We're exhausted as individuals. We're exhausted as a community. We're exhausted as a nation. 
We are tired in body, mind, and soul. We live in a nonstop, you are what you do kind of culture where success is measured by how much you produce, how fast you produce it, how well connected you are with the right kind of people. Every day we tell ourselves how far behind we are how we don't measure up as we see what we perceive to be everybody else's successes displayed all across social media. We strive and, and strain to reach some false standard of achievement or success that we think makes us important or at least of some value in this world. We hate saying no because we think it communicates that we're lazy or we're somehow a failure. We, we fear not being needed. We fear not having purpose. And some of us just fear what might come up inside of us if we ever did just stop and still ourselves and quiet ourselves enough. We might just be afraid of what we'll find in the quiet and in the rest and in the stillness. And so we stay busy and we keep hustling so we don't have to encounter that emptiness that's lurking inside of us. But look, rest is also really a challenge for those who are caregivers. Because when you're a caregiver, there's always somebody or some people who need you and their needs do not stop. And many times caregivers are much better and have this high value of caring for others, but yet a low value of caring for themselves. They care for others more than they care for themselves. Same for single parents. Adults who are taking care of aging parents, grandparents who are taking care of grandchildren, single moms, parents of young children. Guys, listen, there is always a challenge to us finding rest. There is always a challenge. The challenges are not good justifications for not resting, though. And that's what I want to say to you today, that if you can resonate with any of the stuff that I have said so far, here's what I want you to hear. God cares about you more than the world does. And when God created you, he created you to live a life of rest and margin. He created you to work from a place of what I'm going to call enoughness, where your work or even your success in school, if you're a student, it does not define you. It does not make you valuable. But those things are things that we can actually enjoy and we can do in order to reflect God. Burning out is not God's dream for your life. And he did not want you to discover that you need to rest when you can't put one more foot in front of the other, that is not the time to discover that. The time is now to begin incorporating that. Caring for yourself is just as valid as caring for somebody else. You matter. You matter. And the people who love you need you to be well. They need you to be well. So this morning, I want us to not only talk about why rest is good for us, but I want us to look at rest from a theological perspective and learn some ways 
that we can begin to incorporate the regular practice of rest into our lives. You know, what did God intend when he built in a day of rest into his creation? And what did Jesus teach us about rest? And how did he exemplify the proper rhythm between rest and work? Now look, I'm also going to say that there is absolutely no way in this one sermon that I can begin to touch on all the amazing, beautiful facets of this topic of rest. We will merely just touch the tip of the iceberg this morning. That is all we're going to do. But I hope that that what is said today will be encouraging for you and somehow give you a new perspective maybe on, on how you're living and what rest can mean for you and maybe inspire you to incorporate that into your life in new and creative ways to get out of the little box that we tend to put it in sometimes and discover what rest really can look like and what it can mean for us. So let's start in Genesis. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see God uh, at work. He is creating and he is taking joy in his creation, especially in the creation of mankind. You know, God creates, and over and over again, he looks at it, he takes a step back, and he says, oh, that is good. Look what I did. That is so good. But when he made mankind, he took a step back, and he was like, oh, now that is very good. That's very good. And his work was complete, and then he rested. In Exodus 31, we read that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Hear that word refreshed literally means, and God exhaled. So that creation work was like that life-giving inhale, and the rest was the exhale. Both were necessary for life and for peace, right? Put it right into creation. And now think about this. Mankind was made on day six, and day seven was a day of resting. So the first thing we were invited to do was to rest in the work that God had done. Now, what does that communicate to us? Well, it communicates a beautiful theology of grace, that being with God And being called very good by God had nothing to do with anything that we did. We are loved, we are cherished, we are worthy and valuable simply because we exist and we are God's. When we were created, the first thing God wanted us to do was to rest in that truth. You are enough. You're enough. And because that was the truest thing about us, that, that we are gods and, and, and we are loved simply for being his and for just being, he placed a rhythm into creation so we would, we would keep remembering that. And then we could live from that source. We were first to rest knowing that that we are enough. And then from that place of enoughness, we got to produce and create, tend and keep, and then rest again. Not because we earned it, but because resting in God 
The rest of body, mind, and soul was the source of our joy and the source of all the good work that we could do in this world. Just like the rhythm of night and day, the rhythm of of the rise and fall of the ocean tides, our rhythm was to be rest and then work. Rest and then work. Work was not appropriately done without rest, and rest was not truly possible without work. It was a beautiful balance, just like the balance of the inhale and the exhale. And your work did not define you. What God said about you defined you. So as we think about that, ask yourself this, do I work from a place of enough? And if not, how would my work be different if it came from a deep sense of knowing I am enough? I am enough. What would your work look like then? So that's creation, but you know, hey, once sin entered the story, this balance was all but obliterated. Our sense of worth and enoughness was just butchered by the father of lies. Our work became difficult and burdensome and remembering to rest, well, that just was nearly impossible. And by the time we get to the book of Exodus, we see God's people in slavery, suffering under cruel taskmasters, forced into harsh labor with no rest. No rest. They cried out to God in their exhaustion and in their misery, and he heard them, and he sent Moses to them, and then God delivered them from their slavery, and he brought them into a place of rest in the wilderness. Now, maybe you've never thought about that time in the wilderness as rest for God's people. But, but just think about this. Maybe it gave them the space and the opportunity they, opportunity they needed away from the constant tyr- tyranny of work without rest to finally process with each other what they had been through. That is a form of rest. Think about how nourishing that is to be able to share your story And to say to somebody else who gets it, this is what I've been through. Like, do we ever have time for that kind of stuff in our life? Maybe that was what the wilderness was for the people of God. Maybe they could find their exhale, finally. So in this wilderness of rest, God begins to help them reconnect with himself and with each other. And in Exodus 20, we find the Ten Commandments. And here we see that rest is now set as law. You know, God's putting rest back into the lives of his people, telling them to get back into the rhythm of rest that was stolen from you. Get this back into the rhythm of your life. Remember to rest. This day was set apart for you. It was set apart to serve you. You are sanctified. This day is sanctified. Rest in it. It is a holy thing. It is a holy thing. You are not your work. You are mine, and I love you, and I, your God, will care for all your needs. You are not solely responsible. Let your needs rest on my shoulders. Now, I would think that hearing this law, 
Hearing something like this would be like music to their ears after a lifetime of slavery. But what we see in Scripture was that this one was really hard for them. They rebelled against this law a lot. We rebel. Listen, we rebel against this law all the time. They had a hard time breaking away from that, that work. Okay, they had a really hard time. I would think that that would be music to their ears, but it was a struggle for them. Why was it such a struggle? I think it's because there was a distortion in the way they saw themselves. You know, maybe they had just come to see themselves as their own slavish work. You know, like this is who we are. This is all we know. This is what, at least what we can do. At least we can work. We have no other identity, right? God is placing their identity back into them. No, you're mine. You're chosen. You're loved. And so that's one thing the Sabbath law does. It addresses that distortion, the distortion that makes work the sum and total purpose of your life. That distortion is still prevalent today, right? So many of us live as if our value is found in what we do, and so we never, never, never stop. I I heard a pastor say once that his heart sank into the pit of his stomach the day he realized that if he broke any of the other nine commandments, he would lose his job. But if he broke the fourth commandment regularly, he'd probably get a raise. Rest is not valued in our culture, not even in the church. You know, us pastors, we have a hard time because we, we find our value in this kind of stuff, right? It's tough. Not resting, working harder and harder is what's rewarded and even incentivized in our culture, which makes it even harder for us to give ourselves permission to rest or to see it as the necessary life-giving thing that it is. The the Sabbath command also does something else, and this might be one reason we continue to rebel against it to this day. It steps on all our idols, just stomps all over all the idols we would build up, idols of progress, success, prosperity, popularity, because it asks us to stop our doing and remember that God is God and we are not. It tells us to stop, and stopping means trusting. It means trusting that God will take care of whatever it is, whatever it is that is going on in your life, whatever your needs are. And, you know, I think it's interesting that the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment, follows right after the commandments about not having any other gods before God, not making idols, not doing anything to lessen God. It's like God knew we would be prone to make idols, to find our value in things less than God, to worship things less than God. Perhaps this is why we rebel so hard against this commandment more than the others, because we have lots of idols, even ones we can carry around in our pockets, right? Little devices that when you turn them on, display a little apple with a bite taken out of it, like we're suddenly catapulted back into the Garden of Eden, 
And we're about to be eating the fruit from the wrong tree. The tree of knowledge. Anybody? Did you know these things turn off? They actually do. They turn off. Guys, I'm just as guilty as the rest of you. This is one way our rest is being robbed. Ask yourself, what place does this have in my life? This is not all bad. It is a useful tool. There are many great ways to use this. But I want you to ask yourself, What place does this have in my life? And what I'm viewing on this thing, is it nourishing to me? Does this have its proper place? What's it doing for me? Is it an idol? Do I find my validation there? Just some good questions to ask. We all need to ask. So what did Jesus teach us about rest? How did he exemplify that healthy rhythm between rest and work? Jesus ate, he drank, he slept, he took care of himself. He was not hurried, he was not controlled by a busy schedule or even the chaos that many times surrounded him or hunted him down. Jesus lived a rhythm completely different from anyone around him. Dr. A.J. Swoboda says this, the rhythm of his life was in itself a prophetic act against the rhythms of the world. Jesus never asked permission to rest. He never waited until all the people's needs were taken care of, all the questions were answered, all the people were healed. Before he rested, he would just break away. And he would call his disciples to come away and rest with him. Jesus didn't offer seven secret coping strategies for stress reduction or nine happy hops to enhance your effectiveness. He offered this simple, regular practice of rest as a natural, nourishing, and essential companion to work. Learn from me, Jesus said and you'll find rest for your souls. Look at, look at what I'm doing. Learn from me. You'll find rest. Listen to this quote from Pastor Mark Buchanan. Talk about a, a pastor in a busy place. I believe he's in Washington, D.C. It's a little busy in Washington, I think. Um, here's what he said. The rest of God The rest God gladly gives so that we might discover that part of God we're missing is not a reward for finishing. It's not a bonus for work well done. It's sheer gift. It is a stop work order in the midst of work that's incomplete, never polished. Sabbath is not the break we're allotted at the tail end of completing all our tasks and chores, the fulfillment of all our obligations. It's the rest we take smack dab in the middle of them without apology, without guilt, and for no better reason than God told us we could. God told you you could. You don't need permission. You have permission. You need to remind yourself that. I have permission to rest. I'm enough. Things can wait. People can wait. I'll be back, but I need to rest. 
So how do we begin to bring some Sabbath practice into our lives? Well, first of all, let's be clear about what Sabbath rest really is about because it is not about boredom. It is not lying around all sad and morose and like, oh, I can't do anything. You know, like having a miserable time of it. God told me to rest. I'm going to cry about it all day long. I mean, it's not about that. Sabbath, Sabbath was about celebration. It was about enjoyment. It was about delight. It is about laughter and play and being with friends and family, doing things that let you enjoy life and bring refreshment to your life. We have a Sabbath day coming up. Thanksgiving could be a Sabbath rest for you, a time of celebration, a time of enjoying family. Some of you are like, that is the last thing that gives me rest at all. I don't know. But some of you, it might be because it is. It's about for those who are blessed enough to not work on Thanksgiving Day, right? That can be a day where you can embrace that rest of laughter and enjoyment and good food and doing things that that are fun, right? That counts. It counts. Secondly, Does Sabbath have to be an entire 24-hour period? No, but you know what? Work up to that. Like we work up to a tithe, right? When we talk about giving, we don't say, and now we demand a full 10% now. You know, we don't do that. We say, hey, work up, work up. Do a little more each year to increase that. The same with your, your practice of rest. Start somewhere, begin incorporating it, and work up. You might end up with a full 24-hour period where you're going to practice that Sabbath rest. And here are some things, some ideas of things you might choose to do. And if you want more ideas, I'll give you more because there's lots of great resources out there. In fact, I think I'm so excited about this idea of rest that I'm going to write more about it. And I, I might do a series on my blog about it. So if you think you might be interested, tell me, and that will maybe make me want to do it even more. But Here's, here's some ideas. First, Sabbath can only begin if you close the factory, so to speak. So choose a way to unplug, okay? So choose at least one heavily used technological device oh. or, or an appliance, okay? Um, it could be a phone, it could be a TV, it could be a computer, a washer, a dryer, dishwasher. Some of you are like, yeah. Susan said, I don't have to do the dishes. You don't. You can let that go for a day. Um, Let it go for a Sabbath period, whether that's a morning or it's an afternoon or it's an entire day, and then surrender to the quality of time when you will not be disturbed, seduced, or responsive to what those technologies have to offer. And here's the key. Don't forget this part. Notice how you respond to its absence. Because when you turn these things off, when you don't have the TV going all the time, when you're not productive, when you're not getting any, anything done, right? How are you responding internally to that? What are you telling yourself about now that you've got that space? Is it good news or is it bad news? Listen to that. And talk to God about what you experience there. You know, if you are like, I feel less valuable because I'm not seeing the likes on my, my social media or no one's reached out to, I, I can't talk to people today or whatever it is. I mean, I don't know. Talk to God about those things. 
Stillness and quiet in the morning or in the nighttime, those are great things. We preached not long ago about stillness. Go find that on our podcast. Listen to it again. That's a great way to practice little Sabbaths every day, right? You might choose to take a walk in nature. Does that count? Yes, it counts. Go for a walk and just like listen and notice and observe. And and just when you notice your thoughts are off, your thoughts are working. Oh, my thoughts were working. And then let that go and get back to your walk and get back to what you're noticing around you and just be in the moment. That totally counts as Sabbath rest. Some of you love to cook. I'm not one of them. But some of you, you love to cook, and it's very restful for you. So you might, Thursday is, again, coming up, but you might choose to prepare a Sabbath meal. You know, maybe go shop for the ingredients and and just, like, get what you delight in, what is a real enjoyment to you. And while you're cooking, just really enjoy that process. And maybe you're going to have a meal with friends or family, or maybe it's going to be by yourself, but whatever, enjoy it and give thanks. God, thank you. Because thanksgiving and gratitude is a really crucial part of this rest. Again, we're trying to recenter ourselves. It's not so much about inactivity, as it is about the recentering that what you're going to do is going to bring into your heart, into your mind, into your soul. It's letting go, right? It's just letting go of some things that have to be done in order to enjoy the things that God has placed before you in your life. I'll close with this quote by Wayne Muller from his book, Sabbath. By saying no to making some things happen, Deep permission arises for other things to happen. When we cease our daily labor, other things, love, friendship, prayer, singing, can be born in the space created by our rest. Walking with a friend, reciting a prayer, caring for children, sharing a meal with family and neighbors, these are intimate graces that need precious time and attention. Your time is precious. Your attention is precious. The people who love you need you to be well. And they need you to be present. Sometimes we're absent when we're physically present. Incorporating this regular rest will help you be present and available. Last little story, sorry, last little story. I just remember my dad (laughs) was a pastor. And we've already said how hard it can be for pastors to break away and rest. When I was little, like six, five, six, seven, I mean, like, I I remember he was never home before 9 p.m. Never there to put me in bed, never there. Just, and I thought it was just normal. He was just, he was the one. We were at smaller churches. And he was the one. He felt like he had to do everything and see everybody. There was always somebody in the hospital, though. There was always somebody dying. There was always somebody sick. There was always lights to turn off. There was always mail to answer and respond. There was always that. And he was never home early. And I wonder if he'd known. that his life would be cut short so early. 
would he have made? A different choice. Went home. I guess I was 26 or so, Stuart, I guess. We were newly married. We'd driven back to Mississippi from Kentucky at Christmas. And Dad had run to the office to check the mail. And three hours later, he was still not back. Where are you? Well, see, checking the mail for my dad meant I check the mail, I open the mail, I read the mail, I respond to the mail, I mail the mail, right? The, right? He was working, right? And then he had all his calls forwarded from the office to the house. Christmas Eve. And at 26, I just got up the nerve. Because, you know, when you're 26, you know everything. And so I, I said, Dad, you're not that important. Those other pastors can wait. Whatever they think they need. He was the district superintendent. Okay, he was the district superintendent at this point. So we had all the pastors, right? They can wait for you. We drove here from Kentucky. We're here. And you're not. And that just popped in my mind, all that stuff. It's, it's not in here. I, I ended after the quote, right? But this is what, this is important, guys. To be and to love the people around you. Be present. Be rested. Be well. Say no to some things. So you can say yes to some other things. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us your rest. And I know this concept of rest, Lord, it goes far beyond what we've talked about today. Far beyond this. Lord, you even rested on a boat in the middle of a storm. You had such a deep sense of peace and restfulness. Lord, teach us what your rest really means. Help us to enter fully into your rest, knowing that you have done all the necessary work, even to our salvation, Lord, and we can rest in your work knowing you are Lord and we are not. Give us the space and help us to embrace the permission, especially during this busy holiday season, Lord, to give ourselves permission, Lord, to just rest, remembering what really matters about life, about you, about the people around us, about ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.